the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, July the 11th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On July 11th, 1804, Vice President Aaron Burr, mortally wounded former Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton, during a pistol duel in Weehawken, New Jersey. Hamilton died the next day. Today in 1798, the U.S. Marine Corps was... Remember when President Barack Obama kept calling the Marine Corps and the Air Corps and others the corpse? He did. I heard him do it myself several times. President of the United States, a former Harvard guy, didn't even know it was U.S. Marine Corps. Core, not corpse. Anyway, today in 1798, the U.S. Marine Corps was formally reestablished by a congressional act that was also created, also created the U.S. Marine Band. Today in 1859, Big Ben, the great bell inside the famous London clock tower, it chimed for the first time, 1859. Today in 1914, Babe Ruth, made his Major League Baseball debut, pitching for the Boston Red Sox, pitching. He started out as a pitcher and uh, then became an outfielder because his hitting was so tremendous, and they wanted him to focus on that rather than being a pitcher. But he did win that game. They um, they won 4-3 to three over Cleveland. Today in 1955, U.S. Air Force Academy swore in its first class of cadets at its temporary quarters at Lowry Air Force Base in Colorado. Today in 1979, the abandoned U.S. space station Skylab made a spectacular return to Earth. It burned up in the atmosphere, showering debris over the Indian Ocean and some on uh, over Australia, but there were no incidents as a result of it. Today in 2020, President Donald Trump wore a mask during a visit to a military hospital. It was the first time that he had been seen in public with one. And wouldn't you know, the Associated Press is making a big deal out of that today, remembering that Donald Trump, even Donald Trump, wore a mask one day. That was today in 2020. <clears throat> Boy, they're relentless on that. Following last week's SoCal, Southern California Harvest Crusade, 32,500 people gathered and 6,794 made decisions to dedicate their lives to Jesus Christ in Los Angeles last last weekend. Pastor Greg Glory held a massive baptism event this week uh, in uh, Pirate's Cove in Corona del Mar, California. That's the beach where all those hippies started getting uh, baptized when they got saved back in the 70s, which became the Jesus Revolution. But uh, about a week or so ago, a church, another church, had also had a baptism there, and they had baptized 4,100 people, mostly all young people or young adults, 
uh, in this greatest, in this latest uh, baptism. This Pirate Cove, Cove Beach is well known in Southern California. It's well known across the country now as uh, because of the m- recent movie, the the film about about those time, the Jesus Revolution in the 1970s. As you know, if you <clears throat> listen to this program, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I uh, was a youth pastor during that time, so we had a kind of a front row view of what was happening, and we're blessed to be a part of it. And uh, so I have a great interest in it. And there's a, a renewal. There's a renewal among kids today and young adults in the country. And you don't you don't read it much in the news. You don't even see it much among churches. I mean, they're not talking about it. It isn't everywhere, but it's in more places than just Southern California. But it is in Southern California. Kids are coming to Christ, and, and uh, people in general, but a lot of young adults are coming to Christ, and they're they're sick and tired. They're, they've seen the failed policies. They've seen the failed lifestyles of the world, and they're they're sick and tired of it. And the people that are taking a stand and preaching the gospel and not trying to be hip and be some kind of a celebrity pastor <clears throat> where they, you know, wear all the right clothes, the right brand of jeans and all that kind of thing, and try to, well, become a celebrity pastor. I mean, it, it's sad, but it's true. And where churches are authentic and where the pastor is authentically trying to reach people for Christ. It's happening. It really is. And so this is just evidence of it here, and this is a pretty big deal. A lot of people are accepting Christ, but it's happening in various degrees in many places around the country, and it all sort of, it was kind of spawned, or it sort of broke out back when the seminary there at Asbury and others were having these ongoing three and four and five, six, seven, eight, ten-day prayer meetings, sometimes a number of weeks, uh, they would go and just praise and worship and, and prayer meetings. So this is sort of the next phase of that, and, and it, it's significant. And the only the reason that I'm taking time here, this may not touch you, you may not be in, in you know, where this is happening, you may not see it happening, but we should be aware of it because it is happening. And so anyway, on Saturday, Pastor uh, Greg Laurie, who was saved during the Jesus Revolution, and he he put the money together, got some investors to make that film uh, that you may be interested to know, um, the Jesus Revolution. So he had um, about 4,500 people get baptized just this last Saturday down at the... um, down at this Pirate's Cove place. It's the ocean there, the water's warm, and so on. But thousands of people lined the seawall at this Pirate's Cove to wait their turn. And Lori made a statement there to all these people. I mean, the Lord only knows who all was gathered on the beach, but there were over 4,000 that got baptized that had accepted Christ at this at this outreach they had had uh, in the stadium uh, earlier. But uh, he said, you're saying goodbye to the old you, buried with Christ in baptism, so you might walk in newness of life. He said, that's what the Bible says. So you're coming out saying, I'm making this this commitment. And you're doing it publicly in front of friends and family. You know, how many pastors, I, I don't know how many times I've said that as we baptize people over the years. That's the gospel. I mean, that's what it is all about. Accept Christ as personal Savior, get baptized. Baptism isn't salvation. But it's a commandment. We're told 
to be baptized. And so that's what they're doing. And Lori is very effective as a pastor, and he's telling them what it means and being sure that they know what it means, and they know. And they're coming out of that, this new creature committed to Christ and so on. This is happening. I think between the the, uh, SoCal Harvest Crusade and the Jesus Revolution Pirates Cove baptisms, within one week, at this one spot in Southern California, 11,295 new Christians dedicated their lives to the Lord and made him publicly their Savior. They accepted him in their heart, of course. Baptism does not save you. It's an act of obedience once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. So 11,295 people, new Christians, on one beach in one state, in one week. So you can imagine what, and I don't know the statistics or I'd share them with you, but you can imagine what may be happening in various pockets around the United States because things look so dark, it's so hard to get a get a handle on anything that's positive anymore. It's just, it's horrible. And our, our leaders, Biden and these people, are pushing the most bizarre, the most ungodly, unrighteous, deceptive, destructive views, particularly of human sexuality and so on. It's just, I mean, it's like somewhere in the darkest parts of the world that the Old Testament refers to and the prophets spoke to. I never thought I'd see the day in America, but it's here and that's going on. But I want you to know the light is shining brightly. In many places in our country today, the news, no, they're not covering it. They don't want that message out there. They want different messages. They want progressive messages that aren't progressive at all. They're very destructive. I'm interested in Joshua's words. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 14, he was getting a little older. He was over 40, and... uh, He said this, Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. He said, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And ye know in all your hearts, in all your souls, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you. Not one thing hath failed thereof. He was telling the people who had followed him that God keeps his promises. And he was telling them that God is in control. Later in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, there were those that were trying to decide if they really wanted to be fully committed to God after all they had been through and all of the great victories they had seen. They were sort of up in the air about what what they really believed. And that's what he was addressing in this chapter 23, verse 14. But in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, he said what we all know. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think we're living in a time that we need to make that statement again to ourselves, to our families, to our friends, whatever platform we have. If we have a public platform where we can influence a number of people, We need to say it there as well. 
regardless of the conversation that's going on within the church today, and there's multiple conversations, and they're not pleasing to God, nor are they biblical, we need to be saying to ourselves, to those around us, and to whomever we have a voice that's heard, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we may need to be saying that in some church settings as well. California pastor says his church, one of many churches looking to disaffiliate with the United Methodist Church due to its ongoing debate over homosexuality. There shouldn't be any debate over homosexuality. It's the most perverse kind of sexual relations you can think of. God condemned it. And now we're debating in the church whether to bless it or not. Anyway, the United Methodist Church has been going through that. But this California pastor says he could end up being evicted or forced to pay millions of dollars just to keep their church building. The Archbishop of York, and it's being discussed in America as well, he says that the opening words of the Lord's Prayer may be problematic because of the patriarchal association. So they're considering (laughs) editing the Lord's Prayer. We've gotten to the place where the church is trying to decide whether they will accept Jesus' words or if they should edit them to make them fit more nicely into the message of the church, which isn't the message of the gospel, clearly. Our father, mother, whatever, man. Amid this present darkness, archaeologists have discovered, and the story came out yesterday, and it's out today in more places than I saw it yesterday. Archaeologists have discovered ancient Sodom. That's going to be problematic as well as as that story moves forward, but I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But the biblical biblical church is being called to stand and to contend for the faith. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jude chapter 1 verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it is needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Contend for the faith. The faith, once delivered to the saints, is under attack, not only from the secular world, but from within the church itself. Pastor Glenn um, Haworth, he pastors the church that's called The Fount. Uh, It's a congregation in the Fountain Valley area of Orange County. He warned that his church, uh, he warned the church about the potential outcomes of standing for biblical truth shortly after he attended the United Methodist Church's Pacific, uh, California Pacific Annual Conference in Los Angeles. I think that was last month. I was reading about it. I don't think I talked about it much on this program, but I was following what they were doing, uh, in that convention because the Methodist Church is, is being ripped in two right now because there's a group of, of Methodists who are simply unwilling to go with the so-called progressive or left, religious left part of the church. So if you look at the website, this particular church, The Fount, it describes itself as an evangelical and historically Wesleyan community of faith 
holding to the historic Orthodox Wesleyan Protestant doctrines of Christian faith. I'm quoting from their website. In a post on the church's website last month in June, Haworth, the pastor, said he and another church leader, Ted Smith, unsuccessfully sought to get the conference trustees to, quote, reconsider the terms of disaffiliation, because the terms require local churches seeking to do so to pay the United Methodist Church organization, the denomination, the equivalent of roughly half the property value of the church. Now, one of the main points of contention is what's known as the trust clause. And let let me say this in fairness. It isn't just the United Methodist Church that has a trust clause or something similar to that in their relationship agreement with churches that operate under that name, under the banner of United Methodist Church. Other church denominations do the same thing. It isn't just them. I don't think all of them do. Maybe they do. I'm not sure. The ones I'm familiar with have similar um, trust clause uh, agreements. So anyway, in a trust clause, the church properties affiliated with the UMC are considered held in trust with the denomination. According to the UMC, the trust clause traces its origins to Methodism founder John Wesley, and it was put in place, they say, to protect theological drift from within the denomination. And the churches I know that have similar, they may not call it a trust clause, but that's what it is. The churches that I know, the denominations that I know that have that, that's essentially why that was put in place. So a church wouldn't go off the rails and start teaching something that wasn't biblical and didn't fit their particular distinctives of of, of teaching and so on and so forth. So instead, Haworth puts it, the clause is being used by UMC leadership to try and drag local churches into a position of being errant in their theology. But the question arises, he says, if the UMC is drifting away from the historic teachings of the church, which it most certainly is, is the denomination a suitable trustee in regards to this trust clause? Is the UMC trustworthy, the pastor is asking? Haworth explained, he said, if the UMC does not agree to reconsider, either the fount, the church he pastors, will have to walk away from the property and find another location for their fellowship, or they could take UMC to court. He said, neither of these are attractive options. Keep in mind, this is not the world. This is not Joe Biden attacking the church, although he certainly does with his policies. This is within the church. This pastor does, however, have a solution. He's calling his church to take action on his solution, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But then there's the people that are considering revising the Lord's Prayer, editing the words of Jesus to make them more effective, more compatible, more comfortable in today's society. The Archbishop of York says that the opening words of the Lord's Prayer may be problematic because of their patriarchal association. In his open, opening address to the Church of England's ruling body, the General Senate, Stephen Cottrell said that including our Father in the Lord's Prayer may be an issue. He said, I know the word Father is problematic for those whose experience of earthly fathers has been destructive and abusive 
for all of us who have labored rather too much from an oppressively patriarchal grip on life. The statement has already caused more division in the Church of England, as it should. We should not be considering whether Jesus' words are acceptable or not if we call ourselves Christian. Is the Archbishop of York saying that Jesus was wrong or that Jesus was not pastorally aware? That question is being asked by Canon Dr. Chris uh, Sudgen. He's a chair of the conservative Anglican mainstream group. He said it seems to be emblematic of the approach of some church leaders to take their cues from culture rather than from Scripture, and he's exactly right in that. That's happening here in the United States, in Protestant churches, the evangelical churches. The pastors are taking their cue from the culture because they're saying, well, we want to reach the culture, but they're not reaching the culture. They may even amass great big crowds in some of their churches. But if they're not preaching the gospel, if they're coming up with some kind of a revised gospel to make it more appealing, what is, I mean, why are they doing this? Just for their own satisfaction of drawing a crowd? I I don't know. But if they're not preaching the gospel, they're not making an impact on the culture or on anyone's life. And they'll, they'll... They'll be accountable to God for this. And this is what's going on in too many churches today. This Dr. Sudgen, he, he says, are, they taking the, are the leaders taking their cues from the culture or from Scripture? This Reverend Christina Rees, she's been a, an activist within the Methodist Church. She's campaigned for female bishops. She said Cottrell put his finger on an issue that's a really live issue for Christians and has been for many years. She said the big question is, do we really believe that God believes that male human beings bear his image more fully and accurately than women? The answer is absolutely not, Rees says. So she's making the argument, she's further splitting the church by making the argument that if you you don't believe in the inerrant scripture, then you, she said, if you don't believe that, that we should do away with the, 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 the manly, the human aspect of, of Jesus prayer, then you're violating scripture. So she's turning that on its head, so to speak. And she's saying, no, God is both male and female, and he's neither, and he doesn't favor male over female and so on. So she's reversed the argument, and that's what's going on in the United Methodist Church, among other things, but or the Church of England. But the Church of England has previously tackled this same issue. The Church allows clergy to bless gay and lesbian couples who have undergone a civil wedding, even though at the same time they say, well, they don't really believe in that. It's an amazing time that we live in, I'll tell you. But speaking of gay and lesbian couples, an archaeologist who claims to have located the city of Sodom, and as I said earlier, that's in the news today. It was in the news yesterday. It's more so today. I saw it in a number of um, news organizations were mentioning it. They weren't going into it, and they were a couple of them were being skeptical and say, "Well, we don't know," and and because there's no other sources that you know, confirm this because no other historic sources exist that talk about Sodom and so on. 
but they are reporting on it, and it, it it's going to be a growing conversation. So this um, archaeologist says he's located the city of Sodom, and he says the location matches not historical uh, reports and, and writings, but biblical description, and that the on-site physical evidence, including glazed pottery, supports his case. And like I said, it's in the news today, this morning. This Stephen Collins, he's dean of college, uh, 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 the College of Archaeology at Trinity uh, Southwest University. He was talking to Joel Rosenberg in a new episode of the Rosenberg Report as a podcast. And uh, he said that his team uncovered pottery from the mid-Bronze Age at a site in Jordan that appeared it was melted by flash heat, thus matching the biblical account that says God destroyed Sodom with sulfur and fire. He said, Colin said, digging in the soil, he said, as soon as we get a few centimeters into the Bronze Age matrix, he said, this piece of pottery, the, the shoulder of a storage jar is facing up at us, and we see it. And he said, it looks like it's been glazed as we glaze pottery today. And he said, they weren't doing that in those times. A member of his team who worked on the World War II era Manhattan Project, they, as you recall, maybe, they developed the first atomic bomb. They, he looked, he's on this team, and he looked at the melted shard, and he said, wow, that looks like Trinity. And he was, Collins uh, w- was commenting on that. Trinity was the code name for the first nuclear test site in New Mexico when they tr- started testing atomic bombs. And he said that's what it looked like after an atomic bomb had, had been tested, uh, exactly like the shards of these uh, this pottery and so on, like it had been just an instant flash, and they were just glazed instantaneously. So the archaeological the archaeological site it's known as Tel El Haman. It's located in modern day Jordan. Collins, uh, Collins referenced it in a referenced a 2022 paper in the journal Nature, in which 21 scholars and researchers said they had uncovered evidence of a highly unusual catastrophic event. This was a couple of years ago or last year. And uh, they didn't identify it as Sodom, but they said some highly unusual catastrophic event happened here. They said probably a meteor that left a charcoal-rich destruction layer over this new find where they are have been digging. And it melted an object roughly 4,000 years ago, they said, according to their expertise. And that's in this tell. Uh, tell is a, ge- a archaeological site where they're digging. The paper posited that this tell, El Haman, was wiped out in the blink of an eye. Meanwhile, Colin said the tell site matches the biblical evidence. In the book of Genesis, he said, there are at least 25 known pieces of geography in Scripture that you can triangulate between to take you to the city of Sodom. He said, when you do the science of Sodom, you go to the text first. Why? Because the Bible is the only place that the ancient text that was has survived with the name Sodom in it. One biblical piece of evidence, Colin says, is Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. He said, where Lot was standing when he lifted up his eyes and said, the whole plain of Jordan was well watered. 
He was at Bethel, Ai. And he said, that's exactly where it leads you to Sodom. Hey, thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.